This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Iheyes Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... This will be an opportunity for the people of, of Africa, whatever countries, if the president decides to make such a visit, uh, that the, they will actually see our commitment to them. That's Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, on President Biden's hint that he may visit Africa as a follow-up to the U.S.-Africa summit in Washington. Details coming up also. South Africa's Cyril Ramaphosa faces another challenge to his leadership. The WHO says climate change is fueling an unprecedented cholera increase. And Morocco prepares to face Croatia with third place at stake at the FIFA World Cup. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. The U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit concluded with bonhomie and big billion-dollar goals, plus a hint of a presidential visit to the continent. President Joe Biden repeatedly stressed his administration's commitment to Africa and urged the continent's leaders to respect the will of their people. VOA's Anita Powell reports from Washington. U.S. President Joe Biden capped his three-day summit of African leaders by hinting that he may come visit. As I told some of you, you invited me to your countries. I said, be careful what you wish for, because I may show up. The poor relatives always show up. The wealthy ones never show up. The poor come and they eat your food, stay longer than they should. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing many of you in your home countries. It's a striking joke from the leader of the world's wealthiest nation, who spent much of Wednesday touting U.S. plans to deliver $55 billion in assistance to a continent struggling with food insecurity, inequality, and a painful legacy of colonialism. But jokes aside, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations told VOA that a presidential trip would have a big impact. Linda Thomas-Greenfield is U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. This will be an opportunity for the people of of Africa, whatever countries, if the president decides to make such a visit, uh, that they will actually see our commitment to them. These grand gestures and big promises contrast with the quieter diplomacy happening at the summit of 50 African leaders, which included meetings between Secretary of State Antony Blinken and leaders of Ethiopia and Congo, both countries with active conflicts, and with stable West African ally Senegal and Southern African energy giant Angola. Analysts say the U.S. is trying to work with a range of African partners, regardless of their track records, on issues where they can find common ground. Cameron Hudson is an analyst on African peace, security, and governance at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I think what Washington is trying to do is diversify its relationships on the continent and not make them dependent on any one leader or any one group of countries. Because what we have seen is these countries remain fragile. And uh, you know, a strategic partner today could be engulfed in civil war tomorrow. Biden also invited the leaders of Congo, Gabon, Liberia, Madagascar, Nigeria, and Sierra Leone to a private meeting on Wednesday, where they discussed their upcoming elections during what the White House says is a critical time for democracy globally. Publicly, Biden affirmed support from her African representation on the G20 and the UN Security Council, while not ignoring their shortfalls. As leaders, our people inspire us. They awaken us, in, they awaken us the possibilities that are within our grasp, and there's so many 
possibilities if we work together. They tell us hard truths that we need to hear, and sometimes we have trouble listening. They challenge us to live up to the values enshrined in so many of our founding documents and to be worthy of the responsibility given to us by that sacred trust. That particular message falls on some old ears. Cameroon's Paul Bia is 89. Republic of Congo's Denis Sassungesu is 79, as is Nigeria's Mohamedou Buhari. Many of these men, and all but one African head of state is male, were born well before their countries gained independence on a continent where the median age is just 18. What will they take back to their homelands, other than full pockets and warm memories? Anita Powell, VOA News, Washington. This week's meeting between U.S. President Joe Biden and Sierra Leonean President Julius Madabayo is seen as a significant milestone in the relationship between Washington and Freetown. Sierra Leone's Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation Minister David John Francis says the talks could help the country as it works to boost investment. He spoke to VOA's Peter Cloty after two presidents met on the sidelines of the U.S.-Africa Leadership Summit. As a small country, when you are on the global stage of this nature, your presence is felt, and your, the presence and the recognition of your country is demonstrably manifested. But not only that, the leadership of the country and the progress made, you have the opportunity to tell your own story in your own words, on your own terms. That is important. So for us here, we're here to tell our story the progress made by Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone today is no longer defined by its past, the past history of war, of Ebola, of mudslide. Today, Sierra Leone is a liberal, progressive, dynamic country that has held, since the end of the war, five successful democratic elections, including two transfer of power from the opposition, from the incumbent government to opposition, which is rare in Africa. Today, Sierra Leone, has abolished the death penalty. After 223 years, today no one in the country, Sierra Leone, if he are practicing journalism, no one is a political prisoner or for the conduct and the practice of journalism because the government, after 50 years, has repealed the criminal libel law. So Sierra Leone today is a liberal progressive country that has taken the advantage of investing 22% of the national budget purely on education. People are saying it's too much and that it will break the, 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 the budget or break the back of Sierra Leone. How do you respond to that? My dear learned journalists, the alternative is ignorance. Do you know the price of ignorance? Those who are saying that are misguided. But at least they have a concern, a legitimate concern. The president has said Sierra Leone is known for its abundant strategic mineral resources. From diamond to gold to bauxite to iron ore, you name them, we have them. 24 known strategic mineral resources. But they have not translated into sustainable development of the country. So since the um, election of His Excellency Dr. Julius Madabu as president of the country, with the new direction government, the focus has been on investment in human capital development. With focus on education, free quality education, focus on health and agriculture, food security. So, Mr. Foreign Minister, as you tell your story here, how are the business communities here 
in the U.S. reacting to it? Because obviously you want investors to come to Sierra Leone. And is the climate ready? The is climate, it ready? The are, there, are there conflict resolution mechanisms to resolve some conflict if investors come? Will their investment be protected? Well, what I can say is that uh, investment capital is shy by definition. No one wants to go into an unstable environment. Sierra Leone today is emerging as the number one investor's destination of choice in the West African sub-region. Why is that? So firstly, Sierra Leone is a peaceful country. It's a peaceful country. Until recently, before August 10, 2022, Sierra Leone was ranked as the fourth most peaceful country in sub-Saharan Africa. Even after August 10, Sierra Leone was downgraded four places. We are the eighth most peaceful country in sub-Saharan Africa. Anyone who is involved in, who wants to invest will want to look at for a, a climate that is conducive, that is peaceful, that is secure. That is one. Secondly, Sierra Leone today has created the enabling environment for the ease of doing business. His Excellency the President has established the National Investment Board as a one-stop shop. So when they come there, in terms of the legal, financial, technical concurrencies that you need to establish your company and to make sure that the project or the investment is up and running, we have a National Investment Board. POA's Peter Cloti caught up with Sierra Leone's Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation Minister David John Francis this week at the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit. The three-day gathering of 50 leaders from the continents wrapped up yesterday here in Washington. Stay with VOA for more on the summit and what it means to the U.S. relationship with African nations. You can find out the reporting on voaafrica.com. And over the weekend, Nightline Africa's host Peter Cloti will have more of his interviews with African leaders and top U.S. officials at the summit. South Africa's Cyril Ramaphosa has survived a vote in Parliament that could have threatened his presidency, but can he survive another to keep his position as head of the ruling party? He finds out this weekend when the African National Congress Party meets to elect its new leader. Vicky Stark reports from Cape Town, South Africa. An independent panel recommended an impeachment inquiry go forward based on the theft of at least $580,000 concealed in a sofa on President Cyril Ramaphosa's Palapala game farm in Limpopo province in February 2020. South African police never opened a docket for the theft, and while a Sudanese businessman has corroborated Ramaphosa's claim that the money was from the sale of 20 buffaloes, a former state security boss accused the president of taking payments from foreign countries. The ANC Tuesday used its majority in the House to vote down the report, saying there wasn't enough evidence in it to warrant an impeachment inquiry. Opposition party requests for a secret ballot were denied, despite reports that at least two MPs received death threats, warning them to vote against adopting the report. Mabuza, I vote no. I do me! I do me! Pando, GNM. The vote is no. Thank you very much. In total, 214 MPs voted no against the report, against 148 votes in favour and two abstentions. 
Only four ANC members voted in favour of the inquiry, including the woman Ramaphosa narrowly beat to the ANC's presidency in 2017, Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma. She's the ex-wife of former president Jacob Zuma. Several of Ramaphosa's political rivals were absent for the vote, including the man some insiders are calling the president's main competition for the party's top job, former health minister Zuelim Kize. Nkize was seen as a strong leader during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic and then became embroiled in contract fraud allegations and resigned. Political analyst Susan Boyson, a professor at the University of the Witwatersrand, believes it's likely Ramaphosa will keep his job as the ANC's president. We have seen two or three regions in the last two or three days announcing that they are switching their vote from Ramaphosa to Nkize. But in the overall scheme of things, so far we haven't seen the evidence that he can successfully challenge Ramaphosa. But the final die has not been cast. Will the 70-year-old Ramaphosa, a trade unionist turned multimillionaire, stay on as president of the country if he is defeated at the conference? If he does not make it, if he is not elected at this conference in the next couple of days, it is very likely that they will be uh, what they call in the ANC a recall from power by the ANC's National Executive Committee, like they did with former President Talbot Beke and then former President Jacob Zuma when the fortunes turned against them at the elective conferences. The Archbishop of the Anglican Church, Tabo Mahoba, says if Ramaphosa does stay on, citizens will still want to hear the outcome of several other state-sponsored investigations into the Palapala farm theft. While we have to subject ourselves to the democratic processes and accept Parliament's vote, this saga is not yet over. We still have to hear from the National Prosecuting Authority from the South African Revenue Services and the Reserve Bank. Whatever happens, President Ramaphosa's credibility has suffered a blow. The ANC's 55th elective conference starts in Johannesburg Friday and runs until December 20th. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. Botswana is developing a national security strategy amid fears of heightened terrorism threats. In June, Botswana's army commander warned of vulnerability to terror attacks following the decision to deploy 300 troops in Mozambique's troubled region, the Cabo Delgado. Mokandisi Dube reports from Habrone, Botswana. The country's Minister of Defense, Kahiso Musi, told Parliament Thursday that Botswana is facing an increased national security threat. The emerging global security challenges such as cybercrime, terrorism, poaching, human trafficking, distribution of drugs, money laundering and transnational organized crimes continue to threaten Botswana's sovereignty and territorial integrity. Irregular migration also possesses a threat of multilateralism. To this end, Musi said a strategy to counter possible acts of terrorism and other national security threats is being developed. In an effort to address the above-mentioned global challenges, the country is developing the national security strategy. 
Botswana will ensure the permanent inviolability of national territory and its effective control by employing all available instruments of national power. In June, Botswana's Army Commander Placid Sihoko told lawmakers the country needed to scale up efforts to counter terrorism as the troops' deployment in Mozambique had created challenges. Botswana troops in Mozambique are part of the Southern African Development Community SATIC standby forces, more than 1,000 soldiers in Capo Delgado. As the Defense Force, we continue to have challenges in respect to cybercrime, terrorism, because we are now clearly in Mozambique specifically because of terrorism. And um, we, we do realize that um, our, our footprint there creates an even bigger vulnerability. This week, Botswana's Vice President Slamba Sohwane told new army recruits to be ready for deployment in Mozambique if called upon. Today you graduate from it to take your place in the Botswana Defense Force at a time when Southern region is fighting a war against terrorists in the Republic of Mozambique. You need to append yourselves with the tactics, techniques and procedures as well as the processes of leading your men in tactical situations quickly for you for you may be required to be deployed there or elsewhere. Since sending troops last year June, Botswana has lost five soldiers in Mozambique, including one during combat, while two died during freak accidents at their respective camps in Cabo Delgado. The other two died in a murder-suicide incident. Mkondisi Dube for VOA News, Haburoni, Botswana. Tomorrow, the Atlas Lions of Morocco face Croatia in the match for third place in the World Cup. In group play, the two teams tied 0-0. The Moroccans have made history, becoming the first African team in history to reach the last four. Even so, Walid Riga Ragui says the match on Saturday will be a bit of a letdown, but he says the team can be proud of its achievements. C'est ce que j'ai dit aux joueurs. On va jouer un septième match de Coupe du Monde sur un mois, et je crois qu'on est le 16 décembre. Ragra Gui says he told the players they will be playing a seventh World Cup match within a month. If you would have told Moroccans that on the 17th of December there would be a Morocco match in Doha, they would have been more than happy and proud. He says what the players did is extraordinary. He goes on to say he thinks Morocco played six World Cup games in total over 20 years and now they will be playing seven games in a month. That is priceless. France plays Argentina in the World Cup final Sunday. Also, in football news, world football chief Gianni Infantino told today said FIFA looks set to revise plans to introduce three teams groups from the 2026 World Cup. FIFA had previously indicated that the 2026 finals, which will expand to 48 teams from 32, would see countries divided into 16 groups of three during the first round. We have been uh, approving a 48-team format with um, 16 groups of three, uh, of which a top two would move to the knockout phase of 32, and then 16, 8, 4, and 2. I have to say that after um, this World Cup and the success of the groups of four, and looking at as well some other competitions like uh, uh, 
the Euro, for example, where you have 24 teams and the top two plus the best third ones go to the next group stage. I mean, here the groups of four have been absolutely incredible in the sense that until the last minute of the last match, uh, you would not know who goes ahead. I think we have to revisit uh, or at least rediscuss the format, whether we go for 16 groups of three or 12 groups of four. The 2026 FIFA World Cup will be played in Canada, Mexico and the United States. Catch up on the latest World Cup news on voaafrica.com slash World Cup. We'll have an update on African News tonight at 1800 UTC with Sunny Young. And do not forget to look for our latest World Cup podcast on goal with Sunny and Moke Beal. The Flint... Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Nature is often overlooked when it comes to climate solutions, said Monica Medina, Assistant Secretary for Oceans and International Environmental and Scientific Affairs. We believe that nature-based solutions offer the most efficient, effective, and flexible way to address the twin crises of climate change and, of course, biodiversity loss. Ecosystems both on land and in the ocean are currently and will remain the best carbon storage system we have. There is nothing more efficient or effective. We know that nature-based solutions, just the ones on land, are capable of providing at least a third of the emissions reductions that we need to keep 1.5 alive. The time is now to start to harness the power of nature to help us sequester more carbon, stabilize climate cycles, adapt to climate impacts, and host the universe of species on which we depend. There is far more to harnessing nature to help mitigate climate change than just planting more trees. As forest conservation, restoration, and adaption generate broad benefits related to climate change in other areas, other nature-based solutions can advance multiple benefits, said Assistant Secretary Medina. Mangroves, people don't think of those as trees or as a carbon sink, but they are a huge carbon sink. And they provide important habitat for threatened and endangered species, provide flood protection and food protection, food security by creating the necessary conditions for coastal ecosystems to be vibrant. We can protect coasts, critical marine ecosystems, reduce flooding through building wetlands, moderate extreme heat and replenish groundwater resources, capture and store carbon dioxide on all of the above and conserve biodiversity and improve our agricultural and forest lands if we just focus on nature. And of course, we are just as committed to ocean-based climate solutions, said Assistant Secretary Medina. The United States is pleased to be galvanizing more ambitious action for protecting marine resources through our Ocean Conservation Pledge, which commits the countries who are a part of that pledge to protecting at least 30% of their own ocean waters by 2030. Nature is really our most important tool for conserving carbon and for preserving the natural environment on which we all need to sustain ourselves, said Assistant Secretary Medina. It is our best bottom line. It needs to be second nature. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. 
I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Barrow, and our engineer, Patrick Dea, thanks for choosing The Voice of America. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local 